You're listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. Welcome out to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. I am your host, Tyler Jorgensen, and today we have my sister from another mister, Renee Rebar, coming to us live and hot. From the Midwest. Detroit, baby. <laughs> Detroit, Motor City. Welcome out to the show, Renee. Super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Long time listener, first time caller, which is not something I can say for everyone who joins the show, uh, but super excited to have you. And so my first question is the one I usually start with, Renee. When was the moment that you first realized you were an entrepreneur? I was in sixth grade and my mom was a Wrigley's gum rep. And she had cases of this gum, you know, bubblicious, and it was just sitting around. <laughs> and so I knew that I could chew gum in class, as the teacher said, if I could just bring enough for everyone else. And so I did. <laughs> and then I sold it at the re in recess, 25 cents for, you know, those little squares. And I knew that was it. I can make money for selling things. I'm in. A lot of people that come on the show, it's one or the other. Either they had that elementary school hustle, like they've been, they were business entrepreneurial from day one, or they kind of were the uh, late bloomer entrepreneur. You're, you are like me where you were scrapping from the early days. Totally. Um, what was the first venture where you were like, okay, I'm actually, I'm a business owner, not just right. uh, not a side hustler. I was 23 and I was working for another company as a sales rep and I was doing great. They were promoting me from the Albany office to the Manhattan office to my own office down in Atlanta. Lots of fun stories. <laughs> in Buckhead. Um, I'm glad there wasn't the internet back then. I just want to say that as I share these stories. Um, and then I, there, an opportunity came up for me to buy the Detroit territory and have wow. it as my own. Um, you know, and, and it, it was, it was great. I, I didn't know anything about it. I actually thought Detroit was West of Chicago. Um, I was going to blame it on my public school, New York city <laughs> education. It's New York, blah, 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 California, blah, blah, blah. Don't go anywhere else. Yep. Yep. So that's all I knew. And um, I came to Detroit. It was uh, right around St. Patrick's Day. And I went to this little pub that I, I was asking everybody, what am I going to do? I, you know, it's not Manhattan. It must be boring here. And um, that's when I met this cute, tall redhead. And that's the guy I married. <laughs> and then I stayed here. I, but I definitely did not have plans to live in Detroit forever. But love had other plans, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> And so your first like business venture was like big, you know, you actually started in a business, started doing sales, which of itself is a very entrepreneurial spirit driven profession. Um, and then you had the ability to then take on that ownership and stuff as well. What was the biggest gap as you shifted from uh, being just a sales rep to a business owner? How did you bridge that? It was, you know, I am with you. I am in the field with you. I am your teammate, maybe even competition to okay, everybody, we're going to, we're going to do it all together. And, um, moving into leadership. That was really, that was really challenging. I took a lot of leadership training. Um, I didn't have that in my undergrad English education. So I invested externally in a lot of, um, Brian Tracy and John Maxwell and Tony Robbins. And, um, I loved it. 
And it helped me, it helped me bridge that gap because we were all about the same age too. And I was, I, you know, yeah. I'm the same person. I was the same person I am now, which is just a loud mouth New Yorker. Right. <laughs> and so a lot of, it's interesting because a lot of people who follow a similar path do it a little bit opposite. Maybe they, they figured out leadership, they grew in management opportunities. And then yeah. they usually, it seems to me from my perspective, the bigger gap in uh, early stage entrepreneurs is learning how to sell. But yeah. that's something you were already, you'd already had some experience. Um, and so you, but you did the same thing. You went out and you saw, sought mentors and training and things like that. Yeah. When you see early stage entrepreneurs getting started, do you also see that gap in sales? And what's your big advice to them? Great question. A lot of them have a great idea. They feel like it's a, a, a winner and they go and they build everything out. And, you know, I've, you've said this in the show many times. I know if, if anyone else is listening, as long as I have, you cannot build it and hope they're going to come. You have to test it along the way. And so one of the best advice I ever got from my first sales manager was, you're never going to know if somebody's going to say yes until you ask them. And so it's not like you can't, it's kind of like in middle school, you know, you, Johnny sends you a note. Johnny wants to know if he asked you to the dance, would you say yes? He's got to ask to know for sure. <laughs> so you've got to pull it out of the trunk and put it in their hand and say, it's five bucks. Do you want it or not? That's the only way. So all this ideation and business planning is great, but you still have to test the idea because what is the first question they ask you when you go on Shark Tank or in any investor room is tell me your sales numbers. And if they're like, we have a great business plan. You're like, that's not the question. <laughs> that's not so, the question. So the biggest <laughs> advice in sales is just start actually doing it. Start right? to actually sell. Sell the first thing that you have. Don't wait to have an offer suite. Don't wait to have a suite of, of SKUs. Don't wait to have a shelf full of stuff start with the first thing. So I have, I say oftentimes be the water to my, to my clients, be the water. The water always finds a way, find the path of least resistance. Don't make it so hard for yourself. So find that first, that first person to talk to. Maybe it's somebody, you know, and sell them the first thing to get that confidence, to get that income and to, to validate that offer. Um, in, I was just listening to somebody else talking about sales. And one of the biggest things that they talked about was getting your reps in. Like you have to try. You have to you have to make the sales pitch. You're going to learn more from the attempts at selling than you ever do in just reading books and try and like theoretically doing it, right? So you have to. I love that. Like take it out of the trunk and say it's five bucks. Do you want it, right? And so, what are you doing now? What's your business? Yes. So I coach business owners, particularly women business owners, because I have found over my 30 years of experience. Now I counted it the other day, and I, I must be older than I thought. <laughs> I, I, is that women specifically sell differently than men because we are nurturers by nature, not that men are not nurturing. I have three beautiful brothers, a dad I love, a husband I love, a son I love. They're very nurturing and, and amazing gentlemen, but women specifically get in their head. I don't want to push. I don't want to force. I don't want to convince, manipulate. Okay, of course you don't. So let's have a, genu a genuine conversation. So I teach them uh, how to bring out their inner mother. And so I have a course called Sell Like a Mother, <laughs> because if you can convince your kid to do anything, pick up their socks, eat broccoli, you've got sales skills. And we can leverage that, what you already know, to offering it for your own business. I think that's huge. And even though I give you a hard time about, you know, that you mostly just work with women, because I'm like, well, what about me? You don't want my help, but you, want, you don't want to help me. But I understand. And it's a really strong avatar and, and people that really need your help. So I actually love it, even though if I, I give you a hard time with it when people go to renerebar.com and they check you out and they're looking and they're learning about sell like a mother, what are some of the biggest barriers that people who are making this transition face and how are you helping them? 
It's great. They say, I don't know what to sell because they haven't actually pulled it out of the trunk and offered it yet. They've been in ideation mode. And I say, well, the best way is to offer something. And then when you get that feedback, you're going to know, well, let's they take that offer. Let's add this. It sounds like this. So I am all about experiential learning. So I give them tiny little pieces of meaningful sales activities of the, you know, the bigger picture, tiny little pieces to take, tiny little steps to take. Like I call it 10 minute steps that they can take today so they don't procrastinate they don't get in their own head they don't think too much and they can actually make that first sale faster than they ever imagined so i help them move through that barrier of making their first sale by not having step 25 planned out yet before you take step one all right so we've covered what you're doing right now and we covered what you did when you got started right there's a big gap there of experience and and wonderful stories and wisdom um, but when you started doing your first business and you were growing that and you had to face leadership, what was one of the biggest mistakes that you personally made in the early days and how'd you overcome it? I treated everybody like family, which you would think would be a bad, a good thing. And it is to a certain extent, except they're not. <laughs> and even if they were, you wouldn't want them. You know, if you've ever been in business with your family, you know, that you probably don't want to also do it again. <laughs> so Um, What I missed initially were clear boundaries about where everybody is supposed to be. Um, So just like a great, you know, coach like John Wooden, he wouldn't be like, just go out and play basketball. You know, (laughs) he would have a plan. And so to me today and in the future, as I give advice on this, it's have contracts. Good fences keep good neighbors, good contracts keep good friendships. So if you really want to be friends, have a rock solid contract so that if it ever comes down to it, you're like, reviewing the black and white ink on paper. And you're like, this is what I am paid to show up to do. And this is what you need to show up to do. So we don't have to worry if I'm not showing up or if they're not showing up in the way that they're supposed to. So good contracts, both for employees, contractors, and clients. Yeah, it's interesting. I I heard once that the faintest ink is stronger than the uh, best memory, right? And I think there's a fancier way to say it. But I think there's a lot of emotion and... uh, you know, memory evolution happens over time. And so sometimes it's easy to, you know, go back, refer to that contract for, Hey, remember when we agreed to this, like, remember, remember that. So let here's what we wrote down and both agreed to. Um, I like that idea. Good fences, keep good neighbors. Um, I think that's really strong. So as you're, you're growing, you've got your sales stuff happening. Um, Give us another big uh, story of, of the early days of, you know, Renee being the, you know, beast of a salesperson. So I traditionally cut my teeth on things, concepts, things that people were unaware of, um, like credit card processors. So I was in the field selling for Intuit, which owned QuickBooks, it still does. And we were selling credit card processing machines to small to medium-sized businesses. And they were like, why would I need a credit card machine? (laughs) Because people use cash or check. So the front line was having to explain what credit card processing was, the benefits of credit card processing. And now that you know that, here is a credit card processing offer. (laughs) And so that was exhausting. And so what I learned early on is that you don't want to make two sales at once. And so as much as you can educate, indoctrinate before you get to the actual offer, the better chances you have of someone taking you up on that offer. And so thank you internet and thank you email service providers and thank you automations to help me and my business to 
reach out, connect with, educate, nurture, indoctrinate, so that by the time I put that offer in front of them, whether it's on the phone or in an email or on a sales page, they understand the things that they need to understand to make the right decision on whether that offer is their next best step or not. I don't have to convince them of two things at once because that is super hard. I'm like having light bulbs go off because that is one of the <laughs> biggest challenges. And, and oftentimes we talk about it just in, a, in pre-framing, even just the state of mind that somebody is in when they come to your sales page or come into your sales call, even this, the energy state matters, let alone what information they already have available or have already accepted, right? That's even bigger. And so, you know, and you're right, like there's a lot that we can do in sales process automated through email and through, you know, it, thank you internet, right? That we can do before the sale. But if it is the first time, that might mean you're not selling the big thing yet, right? You might need to start by selling in your in that example. Hey, I'm just going to sell you what the future is with credit cards and why they matter to businesses, right? And that might be all you're able to sell day one. Um, That's right. Interesting. So you uh, you do a lot of different things, though. You don't you have your sell like a mother, but you also do um, some events and some trips. Tell us more about what you're doing in your business now. Yeah, thank you. So I do the same thing. I just do it in different containers. So there are people, everybody needs sales skills. I don't care if they've sold before, they've been superstar salespeople. They all need to continue to sharpen their saw. And I know enough about people now, thankfully, <laughs> that un unfortunately a lot of those lessons were hard when, you know, burning my hands so many times. Some people, doesn't matter how much they need you, they'll never buy a course. They just want you to tell them what to do. Great. So I offer one-on-one -on -one consulting. Fantastic. Some people just want you to teach their sales team. Fantastic. So I offer sales team training. Some people just want to come to a retreat, spend $10,000, enjoy Mexico, go on a horseback ride on the beach. And after that, talk about their mission, vision, values for their sales team and their sales quotas. And so I offer those different containers, but I do the same thing. And uh, that keeps my saw sharp. You know, I love the story. And I'm sure you've heard this before of the old lumberjack. Maybe he's in the redwood forest. <laughs> And I'm laughing because there's a story about the Redwood Forest, but the reality is, he, you know, he's the old lumberjack. He's old, he's, he's nimble, he's weak, he's thin. And every time a new lumberjack comes to town, like, I'm going to beat the old guy. Uh, the, the new lumberjack goes and chops wood and chops wood and chops wood just to get strong. And all that old man does is just sit there all day and sharpen his saw. And when the day comes where the contest happens, like, okay, guys, who's going to chop this tree down first? The old man goes, Phew. One slice done. And the and the young buck is like, oh, I'm chopping away, chopping away. It doesn't matter. Sharpening that saw. So whatever level you're at, if you're listening to this, you can always get better. You can always get, you can always sharpen your saw. And sales will win every time. You can make better decisions with money in your pocket, with revenue coming in, than if you're backed against the wall and you've got to choose. It's never fun. Yeah. So sales gives you choices. Sales gives you choices. And you're absolutely right. I I said once that uh, money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys time and freedom to make better decisions. And that's a good way to get happy is to be able to make better decisions. So um, having being able to sell can create a lot of opportunity. And that to me is really everything is the opportunity to, to choose the life that we want. Um, we talk a lot about lifestyle design on this show. And so as you have pivoted to, you know, from the careers you and the businesses you've done in the past and now doing more sales training, yeah. How are you making sure that all the different containers and things you're doing um, stay in their lane and allow you to still live the life you want to live? Great question. It's difficult because 
not only do our clients and our dogs like to scope creep, you know, when you're like, you get the dog, you're like, my dog will never sleep on the bed. And then the next week, you know, they're on your pillow and basically you're on the dog bed, right? So we start with the best of intentions. The only way that I do this is with a great team of people who are bound, but we also write a contract every quarter. Like this is what our focus is. We cannot, we will not break this contract. These are the only three projects we're going to work on this quarter. And um, if we have to break it, we have to have like a tribunal, like three of us have to agree that that's not going to be the situation. And that never happens. So in the past, I would work on 15, 17, 22, really, Tyler, really exciting projects <laughs> and get nothing done yep. and feel exhausted and wonder why I was so frustrated and sad. So doing less to an innovator, to a visionary is like <laughs> bondage, but in reality and practice, it is freedom. Yep. I think that's, I mean, that's probably my number one challenge personally is uh, I don't, I'm never short on ideas. They're <laughs> all brilliant. And, uh, or at least at the moment, they, they all seem that way until they're tested. And so it's hard. Like you can, and I, I heard it early on in my career. I was, um, I'll name drop for a second. I was talking with Seth Godin and I was like, he, he asked me, he's like, well, what are you working on? I was like, oh, I've got a couple of cool projects. And he goes, well, you know, and he was signing a book at the time and he goes, well, you'll read on page 17 of my book where I don't recommend work on more than one project at a time. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. Like, so my, my time with Seth Godin was him basically telling me I'm doing it wrong. And, uh, and it's been a challenge ever since. So I've, I've tried to be like, okay, at least if I have a project, uh, there has to be a different person. That's the pilot of that project. Like they're the captain, they're leading it. I can maybe cast the vision, but I'm not going to be able to execute. And that's hard. Like, I also realized, man, I have so much less energy now than I had 10 years ago. So I have to protect it more fiercely. Um, even if it, in the end, I'm still you still have the same number of hours in the day. It's just different. Um, so what are you seeing work really well for you these days? Um, professionally is continuing to stay focused on what I, what I want. So when I say three projects per quarter, I mean one per month, we're going to get it done and come hell or high water, that's going to be it. Um, and so continuing to read, continuing to pray, continuing to write a journal, um, do it. And I feel like I'm laughing because there's not news to anyone, but doing it is a difference. Knowing what to do and doing it are two extremely different things. Yeah. So actually doing it. And then the days that I don't giving myself grace and saying, I'll get back on it tomorrow. I, another thing I heard just recently, I think is really relevant right now is that like, there's not any new information out there. There's not any new words, but there are people that are waiting for you to say it in your way. Right. So even though you're like, oh, this isn't anything new, there's yeah. people that need to hear you that message that like, hey, be laser focused, pick one big project at a time, like learn to sell, sharpen the saw. They're not new, especially to you who's been teaching this for 30 years, right. but it, it is things that people need to hear. And so um, what are some things that people can do to get better at sales other than just do it? Yeah. So the first and best lesson, and I still have to learn it, unfortunately, is to know that the hardest territory to work, it's not, it's not what platform you're on. It's not Twitter or LinkedIn or this area or that area or this product or that product. The very hardest product or territory to work are these four inches in between your ears. That gray matter, if you can get that right, if you can get your mind right, you can become limitless because then you'll have the focus to be able to do the things that you know you're to do so that you can get to the goal. 
So practically, what does that look like between someone who doesn't and someone who does? Does what does that look like for the person to implement? I would um, yeah, or like give an example of someone who had a great opportunity in sales and didn't have their mind right. That could be you or someone, somebody you've coached, uh, and missed okay. an opportunity versus someone who had their mind mind right and was able to close an opportunity. Great question. So back, I'm going to refer back to this <laughs> the time when I had my first Detroit territory. Same exact streets, businesses, same lead lists, same product. And John would go out and he'd be like, there's nobody in that territory that wants anything. This territory is done, Renee. You can cross it off the map. Don't send anybody back in there. It's toast. And then you would get Mary that comes in the very next week, fresh, new, really green, not even as good at sales as John is, but she's optimistic. She's got a fresh mindset. She goes in, she rakes a hundred grand out of that same territory the very next week. Why? Because she had a better mindset. So that's an example of it's, it's, it, you know, they, we would say it's not the bum territory. It's the bum in the territory. And so the reality is it might not be a bum idea or a bum product or a bum deal. It might just be, you need to check yourself. <laughs> yeah. And you can go back to like Glenn Garrick and Ross where like, you know, <laughs> these leads are bad and you know, the coffee is for clothes and all these things. But the reality is if <laughs> you're that. already assuming something's bad, you're right. And I used right. to, <laughs> I, uh, I came up with this idea during high school where a friend of mine was like super embarrassed, didn't want to talk to any girls because in his brain, none of the girls liked him. And I was like, Hey, you like, have they told you that? And he's like, no. I was like, well, if they haven't told you that, then you have a choice of what you can assume. So you could assume they don't like you and they don't want you to talk to them. Or you can assume until they tell you otherwise that they actually do like you. And just changing that like mindset. I'm like, just go talk to them and find out. Because if you're going to make an assumption, at least assume something positive, right? And so I've seen that same exact high school mentality of like, good salespeople assume that the call is going to go well. They assume that when they walk into a new office, they're going to be received. They're going to, they assume that they're going to have rapport with the receptionist. They're going to get past the gatekeeper. They make positive assumptions instead of negative assumptions. And that to me is like, for me and my experience is the number one difference between the gray matter mentality of like, when I show up to a call, what are my assumptions? If I am seeing positive assumptions, I usually do pretty well. But if I'm feeling negative or dark or not seeing or thinking, oh, this is probably not going to work because maybe I'm not a fit. Well, it's amazing how that tends to materialize, right? And become true. And there's so much self-fulfilling prophecy, even before you get into the mechanics of sales. One billion percent. I couldn't agree more. And so I, positive thinking is never going to get me a, a, you know, on the first draft round of the NFL, but it's not going to hurt. I mean, maybe I could be the water boy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can kick that. We just never knew you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but again, yes. Positive thinking may not get you into a, a different life completely right. uh, or at least not overnight. Right. But right. so, okay. Mindset is huge. Um, any tricks of getting into a positive mindset before a sales call? I do. I mean, I definitely, you know, it's, it's as much as I hate to admit it, like it is physiological. And so standing up, having your breath. I mean, I, I am a certified yoga teacher, not because I wanted to be a yoga teacher, but because I wanted to examine what breath work could do for your mindset. Because sometimes all we we are standing in the middle of somewhere. We can't like jump up and down and clap our hands. Like Tony Robbins wants yeah. you to do. Although I like that you kept your fingers out a little bit. That yeah. was good. <laughs> that's him. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so all that to say, we can't always do loud and big movements, but we can always come cover our breath. And yeah. so, um, 
breath work is huge. And so that is specific if you're in and, and go on YouTube, if you go to, you know, search breath work for positive mindset, I'm sure you'll get about 500 videos. Yeah. And it, it's amazing how a lot of times we can look at what our, uh, sometimes our nervous habits are trying to help us do. So a lot of times when people start getting into a sales thing, what do they do? They'll pace. And I'm like, your body knows you need to change state. And you, but you're just not, you're allowing it to happen instead of you to create it. And so I, I'm a huge believer of state and creating state and uh, being able to be recognized and just being mindful of it. Um, so to me, like the number one thing is just to recognize what is your energy that you bring into a call? What is the energy you're bringing to it? And being able to say like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to give me, give me a quick minute, go on zoom, hit mute or hit, turn off the camera, do a couple jumping jacks, come back with a different energy. Um, it's amazing how much that can change, but you're a TEDx speaker. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, what'd you speak on? Is your idea worth selling to us? A, a group of social sellers in Guatemala, of all places. It was the only or one of the only open air arenas. And I got the gig because of I kept up a relationship with a former client and she ended up sponsoring one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and so, and you've traced, trained thousands to sell millions. I like that line. Um, what are some of the things that you are seeing? What's changing? in the business or sales landscape here in the coming years? That's a great question. And it's almost impossible for me to be objective because I am in the midst of so many projects with people, uh, their projects, not mine. <laughs> um, what I see is changing, I think, at least in my own small sphere today would be others' self-awareness that it doesn't actually matter what platform you're on. If you're a Twitter guru or if you have... Um, a fully formed funnel, although those are great. They're never a bad thing. What is most important is that you know that the other person on the side and the, the person that there is another person on the other side of that sales page, that pixel and that ad campaign. I feel like we're coming back to a stage of awareness that we're not looking for clicks and visitors, right? We're trying to connect with the human on the other side. I, maybe it's just a bias of mine because it's what I, I try to teach people and try to remember myself is that you're not just selling to clicks on Facebook, but you're you're making real human connections. Um, and that should be infused into your marketing because you're speaking to people, not to clicks. Um, clicks don't buy, people buy. Um, right. may, at least yet. I mean, we're getting to where there's bots that will probably <laughs> do it for them, but, um, right. <laughs> but we're getting there. So I, I'm seeing that too. So I, I hope, and I think that's a really positive trend that's coming. Yeah. Um, I think the big challenge that's going to happen is that there's going to be people who just struggle to make that adjustment, to get back into selling like a human instead of just selling formulaically uh, or you know robotically. But what are some cool wins that maybe some of your students have had recently? Well, recently? Well, just, just last week, I had a client. She um, does tech automations. And so she has a company that she sells uh, this training of teaching other women how to or anybody who wants to leave corporate, how to do it. And then she also does it for others. And so I encourage her to go onto LinkedIn and go into the, she was looking for some more one-on-one -on -one work, big ticket, right? So cracking the C-suite code, that's one of the, that's one of the courses that I sell. And she took the course with me and I said, just go on LinkedIn and all those job offers that are like, I need a tech manager or a marketing tech manager or marketing technology. So all those different titles. And now she owns an agency and she wanted to consult she didn't actually want to do it herself. She had agency workers to do it for them. So I had her reach out with this phrase. Are you open to contractors or agencies or are you only looking for full-time employees? 
So she did that about three or four times. And then she ended up getting into an interview with one company. They're doing about 60 million a year. Uh, so much bigger than the average company that she was already working with. And she signed an $18,000 contract for six weeks of work, which has led her to three more contracts since then with that same company and their um, other parts of their company. I love that. I What I really love about that is that it was things that was already happening. There was, yeah. she didn't have to go like, you know, find a goal, a new place to mine gold. There were literally people saying, Hey, I'm looking for this type of, of work to be done within my company. And we have a budget for it. Right. She didn't have to go create an audience or create demand. Um, I love that. All right. So we talked a little bit about lifestyle design. Uh, but to me, business is nothing if it's not helping you live the life you want to live. What is one item on your personal bucket list you're going to accomplish in the next 12 months? Ah, uh, well, I think you might know this one. <laughs> and that is, I want to swim with the humpback whales. <laughs> that is my number one goal for my birthday coming up in this next year. Um, and so there's two places that I know do it, but, I, but one is Tonga, which had a recent um, earthquake, earthquake. So I don't think that's available necessarily, but I don't know how the, how the ocean looks. And then also Dominican Republic. So I'm excited because they're just, to me, they've always been just magical creatures. My family used to vacation on Martha's Vineyard in Cape Cod growing up, and we always used to go whale watching every summer. And I would always see them, but you know, they were like so far away and they were, you know, all you'd see is a little bit of them. And then we went to Mexico um, and I saw closer up blue whales. And now I thought I need to make this a life thing. So that's yeah. my goal. <laughs> I like that as a goal. I like it a lot. I even have a whale mug. See, look through the whale. Yes. Tail. Oh, there it is. The, the, I, I didn't notice it at first. All right, Renee, where can people find you and learn more about you? Yes. My website, ReneeRebar.com. That's the best place that has all the places you can get all the other things, the podcast, the YouTube channel, all the, all the fun stuff. I love it. All right, my biz ninjas, wherever you are listening, it is your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.